everyone, and welcome to the premiere edition of Worst to Best. And what this new show or segment or what is going to be is I will be taking films, uh, film franchises, film genres, uh, films from a specific director, uh, a character played by multiple actors, uh, specific actors in their films and roles, and ranking them how I see fit from worst to best and all of this will be solely based on my individual opinion on these films, actors, directors, and so on and so forth. And uh, this premiere edition, if you've been following me on social media and if you paid attention to my last two podcasts, uh, then you will know that this is going to be about the... F <clears throat> this is This premiere edition will be... <clears throat> And you will know that this episode, this premiere episode, is all about the Spider-Man film franchise. And yes, I'll be ranking all eight films from the franchise. I did uh, speak a little bit about it on my Spider-Man Far From Home review, which please check that out. It's right here on the YouTube channel, on the uh, podcast channel, all on Spotify, Google Podcasts, the Radio Public. Um, but in this one, I'll be going into more detail as to why I have these films ranked in the order that I do. Uh, so without further delay, let's get to number eight. The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Um, the general consensus from other people that I've interacted with on social media is that the Amazing Spider-Man franchise had so much potential to be something truly great but for just whatever reasons um just couldn't find the right footing you know uh in because andrew to me andrew garfield was a great peter parker a great spider-man um and it was very clear particularly with amazing spider-man 2 that they were you know, really looking to branch off and expand this Sony Spider-Man universe as much as possible. Because uh, at the time, they were going to have a Sinister Six film uh, to follow this up, because they had the tease at the end of the film with the Sinister Six. Uh, and then we were going to get the Venom film, which was actually not at all going to be the, the Tom Hardy version that we eventually hunt. Um, and by the way, I'm not including Venom in my ranking of Spider-Man films. I'm doing only Spider-Man. Uh, and then we were going to get Amazing Spider-Man 3 uh, down the line. And just, of course, uh, after this one, we're, we didn't get any of that. <laughs> uh, which is very unfortunate because, again, it had so much potential. Now, even though I do have this ranked at the bottom of the list, as I always say, every film, even if I don't like the film overall, I can still find things about it that I can like or love. <laughs> And again, I loved Andrew Garfield as Peter Parker as Spider-Man, and I really loved him in this movie because, you know, he, he in this one he's a more experienced Spider-Man, and you know it's been like a year, year and a half uh, after the uh, the first film because this one takes picks up at, after the the first Amazing Spider-Man, and he, uh, him and Gwen are graduating. And, you know, they're off to college, or at least trying to go to college. And, and uh, you know, Peter's, you know, kind of like torn and conflicted and haunted. Um, 
uh, by, you know, spoiler alerts from the first one, by the death of Captain Stacy, uh, Gwen's father, uh, from during the, the, the climax of that film. And, uh, which again, I'll get into that one uh, when I reach that one on my list, but, and, uh, everything, basically everything from that film transitions, you know, translates, trying to, I can't even think of the right word, um, uh, they, obviously, they follow up from it in this film very, very, very well, I feel. Um, basically, basically, like, the events of the first Amazing Spider-Man film, uh, they, and they pick up on it immediately. Um, and then some of the noticeable differences between the first two. Uh, in this one, we had the uh, the score was significantly different. Uh, was with Hans Zimmer and Pharrell Williams and the Sensational Six, I, th I think is what they were called, or the Magnificent Six. Um, you, know, just, you know, and as you know me, I'm a big Hans Zimmer fan, so any score by him, I'm gonna absolutely love, and I absolutely love this one. I have listened to it quite frequently on my on Spotify, especially on. Uh, my little Spider-Man playlist that I have, where it's the soundtracks to all the Spider-Man films, so I, I listen to it quite a lot. <laughs> um, and then the suit is different as well from the first film, and this one is uh, perhaps you know the most comic-accurate Spider-Man costume of out of all of the films. You know, I mean, with the exception of uh, Into the Spider-Verse, which I will get to later on, but. For the live action hit, the Amazing Spider-Man 2 costume was the most comic accurate, in my opinion. And the opinions of a lot of other people, but this one is all about what I think about these films. And and the visual effects, top-notch, some of the best that I've ever seen. Uh, and, and like the swinging mechanics of the Amazing Spider-Man films with uh, Andrew Garfield, to me, out of all the Spider-Man films, live action, uh, the best swinging of any of the live-action Spider-Man films, um, and in this one we have the villains are uh, Electro uh, and a version of the Green Goblin with a with a younger Harry Osborn than what we were used to in the Sam Raimi trilogy. Uh, and of course, Electro is played by uh, Jamie Fox, who. I mean, he had potential for the role, and I mean, I am a fan of Jamie Foxx. I spoke about um, him being up for the for a possible role in uh, Matt Reeves' Batman film on the last podcast. Uh, go check that one out if you if you haven't already. And um, but just for whatever reason, in this film, just ah, just there were I, I mean, it had some parts of his performance that I liked, but just overall, just. It's just it was something missing from it, you know. Uh, I can't really pinpoint what it is. Like, you know, I can't put my finger on it, but just there was just I guess that little extra spark, no pun intended, that was missing from his performance as Electro. But um, I mean, the the fight that the him and Spider-Man had at the end of the film, I thought was a lot was really good and a lot of fun. Um, uh, of course, you know, enhanced by the brilliant Hans Zimmer score. And, um, uh, I don't know, just again, just something about his performance that I just was, you know, had so much potential and it was missing. And, um, and then, um, the Dane, whatever his name is, to Honey, whatever his weird name is that played Harry Osborne, 
mean, I I liked his performance as as, as Harry Osborn up until he becomes the Goblin, and then it was just he just looked weird. Because uh, the story of this one is about that apparently there's a a gene in the Osborn bloodline where it like mutates their skin and shit like that. Because at the earlier in the film we see Norman Osborn uh, that he dies uh, from this disease and. God, I can't remember the guy's name, but uh, he was um he was in American Beauty. Uh, he was the the father that lived next door. Uh, that spoiler alert kills Kevin Spacey at the end of the movie. Um, uh, and, and you know, so so an actor of his of his stature and caliber being cast as Norman Osborn and then dying at the beginning of the film, you knew that it was gonna be, you know, so much more. From that later on, because uh, post-credit scene that was actually cut from the, from the theatrical release and is not on any of the Blu-ray releases, and not the one that I have because I have the the collector's edition that came out when Homecoming, Spider-Man Homecoming came out, and um, it was it was supposed to be uh, the 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 man in the man in black or the the the, the gentleman, yeah, that's his name, uh, with the trench coat and the hat that he uh, goes down to the room inside the Oscorp's uh, tower. <clears throat> where they have all the stuff like the 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 ten the octo the, the sorry the doctor octopus uh, tentacles um the rhino mech suit and all that other the vulture wings that, that they showed at the, in there as well <clears throat> excuse me um that there was supposed to be Norman's frozen decapitated head on a on a mantle and he walks up to him and says something like. You know, time to wake up, my friend. And then he opens his eyes. And that was going to lead into the Sinister Six film. And uh, I guess, you know, they they decided to cut that out because it might have been too gruesome for the children that are going to be in the audience. Uh, but, you know, apparently chopping off Thanos' head and Endgame was, was, pl was plenty fine for the little kids in the audience. But, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, would have been nice to see that, though. That would have been fun. Uh, and also at the beginning of the film, uh, kind of picks up from the intro of, or picks up from the opening of the first Amazing Spider-Man with where we see Peter's parents, where you know they're like on the run and whatever, and that we we are we are led to believe that they died in a plane crash, uh, but a deleted scene from the on the on the Blu-ray, uh, apparently only on the Blu-ray, uh, we see uh, Peter and his father reuniting. Uh, in, in, in the cemetery, uh, because Peter is visiting, uh, the grave of, oh, yeah, before I get into, a little more into that, but, yeah, he's visiting the grave of, uh, Gwen Stacy, because in the film, she does, in fact, die, um, much like in the comic books, from when, during the clock, the battle inside the clock tower, uh, with him and the, the new Green Goblin guy, um, and... And that that moment though, the when she's falling, honestly, like even though her her death is sad and it's like holy shit, they actually did it, you know, it's actually one of the most beautifully done sequences I feel in the Amazing Spider-Man films because, like, when Peter, like, you see the reflection of her in the lens of his mask, and then when he dives down and he shoots out the web, it like shoots out in slow motion, and then in like it like kind of like. Form, makes almost like the shape of a hand like reaching out to her and that was just was just so cool so 
then was rewatching it like a couple weeks ago. It was just so fun to watch, and you know, and then she dies from the whiplash effect, just you know, uh, which you know, again, you know, actually getting to see the death of Gwen Stacy on screen was a you know pretty you know, I don't know, I don't know if awesome would be the right word, but just amazing to see. No pun intended, but um. Um, but yeah, overall, like I said, the film, I like the parts of it, like, you know, the stuff that I just mentioned, but just for whatever reason, just something was missing from this particular film. Uh, but yeah, the deleted scene where he meets with his father, that yeah, he sees, he meet, bumps into him, or his father seeks him out at the cemetery, and then they, you know, have an emotional embrace, and uh, he's explaining to him you know, why they had to disappear and all that other stuff, and, uh, and he drops the with great power comes great responsibility line on Peter. <laughs> and I really wonder why they didn't include that in, in the theatrical release. I guess, you know, it would have been too confusing for the casual audience. I don't know. I mean, like, overall, not a terrible film, but definitely not a great film either. Which brings me to number seven, Spider-Man Three. Uh, to me, probably one of the most divisive of the Sam Raimi trilogy. Uh, and there's actually two versions of the film. Well, not they're not completely different, but on the again the limited edition box or trilogies set from that they released in 2017. That there's the theatrical release of Spider-Man Three, but then there's also like on a bonus disc, there's a editor's cut where like certain scenes are completely removed from the film and certain pieces of dialogue are modified and certain like different shots and different scenes are added into the film, which it overall, it's, a, it's still kind of the same movie, but it does feel slightly different with these uh, altered scenes and new, you know, new scenes that are inserted. Uh, I mean, I could kind of compare it to the producer's cut of Halloween 6, although the producer's cut of Halloween 6 is a whole other animal, and uh, I'll get to that when I do my Halloween rankings uh, come October. And just, you know, heads up on that one, I will be releasing that one on Halloween Day, because, of course. <laughs> but uh, Spider-Man 3, uh, I guess I'll talk about the theatrical version of it. But, um, that's... This is supposed to be, you know, the big climax of the the, the Sam Raimi trilogy, because uh, you know, picking up from the teaser at the end of the second film, uh, with Harry becoming the new Green Goblin, um, and again, another film that had so much potential and just it just it just wasn't there, you know, like. Uh, and then Danny Elfman was not really there for the score either. He, I mean, he they had the Spider-Man, the Danny Elfman Spider-Man theme in, in there, but it was a, uh, I think the guy's name was a Horton or Horton or whatever his name was that he did the score for this one, which it's not a bad score. I mean, I've listened to to it quite quite frequently. They don't have that one on Spotify, which kind of annoys me, but I listen to it a lot on YouTube. Um, let me take a quick drink. Fresh 
that's uh, of course in this one we are introduced to the simp to the symbiote uh, the black suited spider-man because you know they had they showed it off in the t all the teaser trailers for spider-man 3 and then the first po image the first poster for the film is that picture of him in the black suit and it's raining and he's perched on like you know like a like on a church uh which i mean it looked cool and everyone was so pumped up and excited it's like oh we're gonna get venom that, that means we're gonna get venom and we got venom. <laughs> uh, he, we got we got a we got a venom. Yes, uh, uh, played by Topher Grace. And nothing against Topher Grace. He's a nice act. He's a nice guy, and he's a good actor. I, I like him. But uh, Eddie Brock, he is not. <laughs> uh, and I mean, because a lot of stuff that I've read with Sam Raimi, because he he is he he is a Spider-Man fan. Every interview I've seen of him, where people talk, ask him about Spider-Man, he he loves Spider-Man, and he is a real Spider-Man fan. Reading the comics way back in the '60s, growing up, and all that, so he 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 knows what he he knew the Spider-Man mythology and backstory and all that. But he just, for whatever reason, was not a fan of of the Venom story. Uh, at least that's my understanding of a lot of stuff I've read about, you know, with with regards to the making of Spider-Man Three, and but that the studio kind of um kind of like forced him into it which i mean you can kind of see it because the the venom backstory is kind of shoehorned in there uh which really sucks because again this could have had so much potential could have been a really awesome film um uh, we had sandman as one of the villains as well uh of course harry osborne as the new green goblin and um and then we're introduced to to gwen stacy in this film Played by Bryce Dallas Howard, who is just absolutely beautiful and a great actress. And it's just funny that because she played Gwen Stacy, and then uh, Emma Stone played Gwen Stacy, and they were both in the movie The Help, which uh, to me I, I just find that funny. But anyways, back to Spider-Man Three. Uh, and, um, and what's his name? Uh, uh, James Cromwell played Captain Stacy, and I'm I'm I've always been a fan of his work. He's a great actor, uh, and uh, might have been a little old to play uh, Captain Stacy with, you know, Bryce Dallas Howard as his daughter in this one. But you know, I didn't mind it. He was he he's a great actor. So any role that he plays, I'm all for it. Um, but yeah, the. This Topher Grace as Eddie Brock and then Venom later on. Just and you could tell he he was trying very hard. He, you could you could you could tell that, but it's just uh, kind of like again, kind of like with Jamie Foxx. Just you, you saw the potential, but it just wasn't there. Something was missing, and just you know, and, and it's pretty unanimous that this is definitely the worst of the Sam Raimi trilogy, even though it does have its good moments. Like, you know, you know, whether they're good because they're great or good because of how bad they are, you know, like the whole, you know, so bad it's good kind of thing, which, you know, I guess, you know, what they, what they've dubbed emo Peter Parker, uh, particularly when he's, you know, going down the street, you know, dancing and doing the finger pointing stuff, uh, which they just brilliantly spoofed in into the Spider-Verse, which, again, getting ahead of myself, we'll get to that later. Um, yeah, basically Spider-Man 3 is just, uh, it's just probably one of the most meme-worthy Spider-Man films. Uh, 
in all the best ways. Uh, but, you know, we kind of like jump right into the action right away in Spider-Man 3 with, you know, it starts off with uh, Peter uh, going to see one of MJ's plays, Mary Jane Watson's plays, because she's, you know, a successful-ish actress on Broadway. <laughs> Uh, and then we see Harry Osborn in the balcony seats because remember he's a rich kid. He's a rich kid, little sport rich kid. And then you know that transitions to uh, the first uh, fight sequence where Harry taking the uh, serum from, that we are introduced to in the first film. Uh, he then goes after Peter. Uh, they have their first fight of the film. <laughs> Uh, because, you know, as I'll get to with the other films, you know, the whole backstory is that Harry blames Spider-Man for uh, killing his father, which, you know, again, I'll get to those later, and then, then he learns that Peter is Spider-Man, and that, of course, creates a rift in their friendship, and that's where he's trying to kill him in this movie. And then they have their little fight sequence until he bumps his head and has some slight amnesia. Uh, and then we're led to believe that everything's all, all hunky-dory and, you know, that they're not enemies anymore. And, uh, and then quick, then we, we, then we move into seeing, uh, Sam, that's, what was Sam? Uh, Sandman, sorry. Um, which, I mean, he has the comic accurate outfit, the, the, the brown pants, the striped green shirt, the haircut, and, you know, he definitely looked the part. Uh, Thomas Hayden Church, yeah. Um... Another great actor, and I mean, he definitely, like I said, he definitely looked the part, and he's another one that he, you could tell that he was trying his hardest to give the best possible performance that he could. Um, and uh, but you know, the visual effects with him when he be when he becomes well, when he becomes Sandman at first, the the visual effects are great, and you know, when he goes into that little like scientific whatever. Uh, machine that like turns him into sand uh, because the asshole scientists they see like oh there's a spike in the whatever you know like oh, it's probably a bird he'll fly out as soon as we get started and you know they just turn on the machine he turns to sand and yeah that's how he becomes the sandman um, but that little sequence when you see the sand trying to form uh, it's pretty cool especially with the music like it's very like very subtle but beautiful you know um, and then, you know, yeah, Spider-Man saving Gwen Stacy in the film as well, and that's, and he's awarded the key to the city, and, you know, that creates the love, you know, the love triangle between, you know, Peter, Gwen, and MJ, uh, and then, uh, they find, they also let everyone know that, uh, Sandman, uh, Flint Marco, you know, before he becomes Sandman, that he was the accomplice of the in the robbery where Uncle Ben is killed. So then Spider-Man is going after him, and the symbiote finds his way to to Peter, and you know, covers up his Spider-Man suit. So we're introduced to the black-suited Spider-Man, and uh, and that's where he slowly descends into the emo Parker. Uh, where he's just kind of a dick to everybody, uh, including MJ, and to an extent Aunt May, uh, and uh, you know, then it all leads to you know 
which is you know coming straight out of the comic books and then the 90s cartoon when uh, when he realizes you know what he, what's become of him with the with the symbiote and he's in the church and he's like trying to rip this the black suit off of himself and he bangs into the to the church bell and the the symbiote like screams out again just like in the comics and the cartoon which I, that that part is one of my favorites because it is again a ripped straight out of the comic books um kind of moment and and parker i'm sorry parker uh eddie brock is in the church uh because you know Peter Parker had cost him his dream job at the Daily Bugle, and so when he hears all that going on, how he realizes that's Peter Parker, I don't know, but he does. And then the symbiote, once Parker finally gets it off of him, it slowly drips down and then overtakes Eddie Brock, where he becomes Venom, and like I said, in the most shorned way possible. Uh... <sighs> And then he goes, he seeks out Sandman after we're it's assumed or presumed that he's killed by Spider-Man. Because Spider-Man, again, in the black suit, he seeks out uh, Sandman. And then they team up, decide to go after Spider-Man. And uh, they, but before all that happens, uh, Peter goes to Harry's house. And they have their little fight because uh, Harry gets his memory back. And realizes, um, I'm supposed to kill Peter because he's Spider-Man, he killed my dad, and blah, blah, blah. So then he basically like, kidnaps MJ and manipulates her into breaking up with Peter, which makes Peter kind of snap. Um, and then when Peter realizes it was Harry that was behind all that, that's when he goes to the house and they have their fight, which was really good fight. Prob probably the best fight in the whole movie, uh, where it was just a straight up, you know, no superpowers, you know, fight kind of fight. And it was a lot of fun. Uh, and the editor's cut, it it's a, it's slightly different because in the the actual cut, like he's he just standing at the do the doorway of the balcony. But in the editor's cut, he's laying down on the on on the little couch thing, and that's when it all starts. And it's so I don't know. Uh, I should watch it again to see if you know comp compare both of them. But um. You know, then you know we're let. Then when they get into the little room where all the hobgoblin stuff is, and um, uh, like Harry throws the little pumpkin grenade thing, and Peter throws it right back with the web, and like the way they, the way the sequence goes, like it makes it look like he killed him, but all he did was just fuck up his face, which. I mean, because the grenade was like literally like just inches away from him, and all it did was just scar up the right side of his face, make him go blind in one eye. Like, yeah, that sucks. But I mean, realistically, should have killed him. Yeah, but you can't ask for too much realism in a comic book movie. Uh, at least not a Marvel comic book movie, uh, and at least not one's named Logan. But anyways, uh, that's for another time. Um, at the end of the movie, when. Uh, Harry comes to his senses because in the theatrical cut, the butler lets him know that hey, it was it was uh, his you know his glider that killed his father, and uh, which yeah, but in the editor's cut, it doesn't happen that way because uh, after uh, Eddie Brock and Sandman team up, they kidnap MJ and they're holding her hostage. Peter grabs his old Spider-Man suit. Goes to Harry and asks for his help, and and then you know P 
Peter goes off because Harry says, tells him to get out. And the editor's cut. Instead of the butler telling him that his that his he was killed by his own his father was killed by his own god his own goblin glider, uh, he just looks at a picture of him, Peter, and MJ, and then that's that's what triggers his decision to go help him. Which, I mean, my, some people think it's it was a, it's better, but I don't know. Yeah, but then again, you know the butler t saying you know telling him that, that it was his father's glider that killed him. It's like you held on to that information for this many years, and you're only now telling him. It's kind of a f fucked up thing to do as well. Uh, but then you know he does go to help rescue him, and they f he, they team up to fight Venom and and Sandman, and uh, and then uh, he dies in the process of it, and then. Uh, there, because they're fighting at a construction site, and then, you know, when the little, like, pipes that, you know, get knocked over, you know, making a similar sound to the bell from the church, making the symbiote freak out. So then, Peter gets the idea to start, you know, playing around with some of those poles to, you know, piss off the symbiote even more, and then he pulls Eddie out from the symbiote, and... Uh, decides to take the green one of the goblin grenades and throw it into the symbiote to blow it up and um, apparently a fan theory I don't know if it's a confirmed fan theory but that the, the when Eddie jumps back in there to sit to get to re reattach to the symbiote that they fly off and we're and we don't know that for sure but you know but then he you know Harry goes back down and or spider spider-man Parker goes back down and he sees that Eddie, that Harry is is dying, and then they have a funeral at the end of the film, uh, and then they have a sort of happy ending where Peter and MJ, you know, are back to kind of back together at the end of it. Uh, at least that's where we're where to assume, and then that's the end of the movie. So, I mean, and then we were we were gonna get Spider-Man Four from Sam Raimi, where it would have had uh, the the Vulture and a uh, uh, Felicia Hardy, not as Black Cat, but she would have been, um, the, she would have been, like, a, like, a female Vulture as a sidekick for, for Vulture, which apparently was supposed to be played by, uh, John Malkovich, and, um, then I think Anne Hathaway was gonna be Felicia Hardy, and, uh, that there was gonna be an opening sequence with, with Spider, with Spider-Man taking down a bunch of other villains, like Mysterio, who was supposed to be played by Bruce Campbell, which... I don't know, I would love to live in the parallel universe where that Spider-Man 4 movie exists, because I would love to see that. Um, but yeah, never gonna get that. Would be nice if we can get it in like graphic novel form. Uh, but who knows, but yeah, overall Spider-Man 3, um, again, that, it's definitely the worst of the Sam Raimi trilogy. Uh, but on my ranking, it's the second worst Spider-Man film. And then moving on to number six, we have The Amazing Spider-Man, the first one from 2012, which I did talk about a little bit earlier from in my when I was talking about Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man 2. Um, and this one again, it's Andrew Garfield as Peter Parker, and we have Uncle Ben played by Martin Sheen and Aunt May uh, by Sally Field, and Dennis Leary as Captain Stacy. And again, like I said before, Emma Stone as Gwen Stacy, um, and uh, 
you can never know, I can never pronounce his name, but, um, the, man, the actor that, that was, a uh, one of, that was in Little Nicky, the, the, he was the, the brother, the, like, the skinny douchebag brother, uh, in that film, uh, he plays Dr. Connors, who becomes Lizard, and, and I was happy about that, because I had been wanting, uh, Lizard to be, in the Sam Raimi trilogy, in the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films, uh, since Spider-Man 2, which I will get to, because they had Dr. Connors in those films as well. So I was really excited that we were, we were going to finally get a, a, a lizard story in the movie. Um, and, I mean, I know a lot of people, especially the MC, a lot of the MCU fanboys, really like to shit on the Amazing Spider-Man films, and the Sam Raimi films, but I thought The Amazing Spider-Man was a great movie. Uh, you know, definitely by default, out of the, the two films that we got, was definitely the best one. And the costume, again, not it was not the most accurate costume, but it was a unique costume, and I enjoyed it because of that, because it, it, you, could, you could tell that it looked like it was something that he custom-made himself. And, and I liked it, and I... Uh, been really wanting my own my own version of that costume I and mean, I'd have to lose a, a few pounds to fit into it but you know maybe one day I will and, and uh, but yeah and this is another one that just because uh, in this one we it's the whole film takes place with him as a high school student as opposed to the first Sam Raimi spider-man where well you know I'll, I'll get to that in a little bit but uh, this, like I said, touched on in the Amazing Spider-Man 2 discussion that it opens up with Peter's parents where, you know, they have to go off somewhere because apparently the play is playing like hide-and-seek or whatever with his with his dad. Um, he goes into his dad's office and see that, that everything is like all over the place and his files are destroyed and then uh, his dad goes over to his desk opens up the drawer, apparently there's a secret compartment in there, takes a file, and uh, just see that they didn't take one of the files, um, because uh, we learn in this film that, uh, that he actually uh, was behind the, the creation of the, sp of the spider that bites Peter, that turns him into Spider-Man, uh, and he was a partner of Dr. Connors working at Oscorp, and uh, uh, yeah, that they were behind the the the, the muti mutation, the genetic mutation of the spider because they were trying to find a cure for Dr. Connors of from the you know again the disease that he was dying from as I mentioned before, um, and just I mean it was a it was definitely a different t you know story uh, that you know I was not. I mean, when I first heard about it, I, before before I actually saw the movie, I was not completely behind it. But then when when I actually saw the movie, I loved it. Um, uh, and the, the Spider-Man theme from this film is actually one of my favorite Spider-Man themes. Whew. Out of all the Spider-Man films, uh, sorry that I'm yawning. I'm recording this at 1.30 in the morning on Monday, going into Tuesday. Um... And, but, you know, it's, I mean, of the people that I've talked to who are not really fans of the MCU Spider-Man, they love the Amazing Spider-Man films, and, 
again, just very disappointed that he didn't get to complete his trilogy. Uh, which, I mean, they, nearly, you know, there was really nowhere to go except up after how Amazing Spider-Man 2 went. But, uh, <clears throat> now, uh, the, the way this one works is they, they kind of took advantage of, like, s sort of the social media aspect of it because uh, and, and they kind of delved into it a little more and homecoming which i'll get to soon but like where you know video like videos of, of spider-man online that people are looking at trying to figure out who he is and uh because the you know the rob the robber that kills uh, uncle ben in this version uh, uh apparently he, he has a specific tattoo on his uh, left arm like a star on his like left wrist or left forearm and Peter is seeking that person, you know, that person out, like targeting any cr potential criminal that has a resemblance to him. And you know, we find that as a something that's happening over and over and over again throughout the film. Uh, and they have like a nice little sequence where he where, where he's doing that. Um, uh, and in this one is from because in the Sam Raimi trilogy he had the organic webbing, which. Apparently not a lot of people were a fan of. I was, uh, and in this one we have the first the first live action version of him with the uh, the web shooters that he creates. Um, because while he was at Oscorp, he uh, saw he went into the room where they had the little mutated spiders and saw the webbing that that was in there, and decided to. Uh, somehow, I don't know how he did it, but he purchased some of the, the little webbing stuff uh, from Oscorp uh, and had like large shipments of it and was able to create the web shooters that, you know, that he has in the movie with that stuff. Um, and, uh, and he, you know, when he learns of the Dr. Connors, you know, association with his father, and he's, you know, looking through the briefcase that was left, that was left behind from his father, and he sees the the equation uh, uh, called the the decay rate algorithm, uh, uh, which I, I guess was like the missing piece of the uh, the genetics for the that they were trying to figure out for uh, cross species contamination or cross cross species something. Um, and he gives it to Dr. Connors when he goes to his home and wants to learn more about who his father was. Um, the, in the process of doing so, he is the one who basically creates, makes him, is the one who creates him being the lizard, you know? That was not grammatically correct, but, but you know, uh, you got what I mean. And then we are introduced to the, to the lizard because of uh, the... His his boss at Oscorp takes the the formula and is you know and decides to go off. Apparently, he's gonna test it on on other humans or like vet. He's gonna go to the veterans hospital to like to test it on some people. And um, Dr. Connors, because he injects himself with the sample that he had, and he's able to grow back the you know his miss the missing part of his arm. Uh, but then he's quickly, you can quickly see that he's already mutating into the lizard, so he, you know, gets into the car and tries to stop the guy. I can't remember what the guy's name was. Uh, 
before he can get to the veterans hospital to test that sample on them. And that's where they, we end up on the bridge, uh, where Spider-Man gets to fight him for the first time in a pretty fun sequence. Uh, it starts off with a lot of cars being thrown off of the bridge, where Spider-Man has to save all those cars uh, by using his web to hold them on to the bridge, uh, which looked pretty cool. Uh, and then he saves the little kid that, you know, annoyed the fuck out of me <laughs> during this sequence the first time I watched it. Annoys me even more every time I watch it since then. Uh, but then, you know, the guy's, the kid's dad, uh, he works in construction, and that, that, you know, that comes into play later on in the film. Uh, because when Parker realizes that that's, that that's Dr. Connors, who's the lizard, uh, he tries to, uh, warn uh, Captain Stacy about it um, you know but of course Captain Stacy and the police they're trying to uh, arrest Spider-Man because he's a vigilante and he's you know just basically acting above the law as they see it um, and then um, and they you know at first Captain Stacy doesn't necessarily believe him about it uh, but then he, you know, decides, you know, maybe, you know, if he's this passionate about it, he might, he might be, he might be onto something. And uh, then there was the, the yeah, the Ganali device, uh, which apparently like dis can disperse an aer uh, an aerosol thing into the air, uh, where like as Dr. Connors said it, theoretically you can cure polio in an afternoon. Um, and the 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 serum that created him into the lizard, he decides to use that, and he's gonna infect the the entire city, because, you know, he becomes consumed with, you know, a world without weakness, because that was the, 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 the goal that him and Peter's father uh, were trying to uh, achieve. And he tries to take it one step further, saying, you know, that human beings are weak, and that he wants to turn them into, into lizards like he is. And he, you know, he was kind of getting people with it at first, um, and and there was a fun sequence in where uh, Peter and Lizard are fighting in the at the, at the high school, uh, Midtown Science or some I, I always forget what that what the whole name of the school is, but um, and that's where he like tracks him down to his lab and realizes. Uh, what's what's you know that he's planning on using the Ganali device and you know Gwen Stacy knows the you know the trying to find the right words for it uh, because she's an intern at the at the Oscorp uh, she knows the the schematics for it I guess is the right word um, so you know she goes down to Oscorp to try to get the Ganali device and uh, with the antidote uh, for the the serum and to use that on. Uh, um, or to switch it off because uh because you know, he's gonna Blizzard's gonna use the Ganali device to infect the city with the lizards you know stuff. Um, and then while Peter is on on the way to go take care of that, he gets into it with the police, uh, including Captain Stacy, uh, where they handcuff him, they take off the mask, but as soon as the mask comes off, he fucks up all the officers, and then uh. Captain Stacy holds the gun to to him, uh, you know, put your hands in the air, and then he, when he turns around, he realizes it's Peter, 
uh, because he was, you know, he met him earlier in the movie because he was, Gwen invited him to dinner with the family. Um, and he was a little suspicious about him at first, so when he realizes that he's Spider-Man and then he warns him that, you know, Parker warns him that, you know, uh, Lizard is on his way to Oscorp, he's gonna affect the city with the virus or whatever. Um, so then he sends him off, and but before he leaves, he gives he gives him his his mask back. And just as Peter's about to go, one of the officers, I guess not paying attention to what just happened, shoots him in the leg, and that weakens him. So he's you know struggling to get from building to building. Um, and then the father of the kid that Spider-Man saved on the bridge, he sees him on the news, and decides you know to get all his his fellow construction workers to start you know positioning the cranes all, all, all along the city so that Peter can make his way across uh, across the city to get to Oscorp. And honestly, that's one of my favorite scenes in the entire film because especially the way the music builds up, I really love that. And um. Uh, then we have the climactic battle with him and Lizard, where, you know, Captain Stacy decides to help him out. Uh, and then they, you know, Peter switches the, the Lizard thing with the, with the cure. And, of course, the you know, Lizard gets angry with him for that, and, uh, Captain Stacy is killed. Because the, the claws from his, his Lizard fans stabs him right through his bulletproof vest. And and then uh, you know he's no longer lizard because the cure was blown into the air, and you know, and he he's arrested. And then uh, as Captain Stacy is dying, he makes Parker promise to leave Gwen out of it, which was you know didn't really didn't forgot to mention that when talking about Amazing Spider-Man Two. That's that was basically the whole underlining plot. Uh, well, subplot, I guess you could say, of Amazing Spider-Man 2, where he was conflicted of that he wanted to be with her, but then he had made that promise to her dad to stay away from her and keep her out of his his Spider-Man activities. Um, but obviously he couldn't keep that promise, because they were basically back together by, before the end of the film. Uh, but in this one, yeah, he made the promise to to Captain Stacy just as he died that he was, you know, he would leave, he would leave her out of it. Uh, yeah, but then we get the, you know, the what became typical of the Sam Raimi films, or at least the first one, the swinging sequence right before the end credits, which was a lot of fun. And again, like I said, the Amazing Spider-Man films had the best swinging web swinging out of all the Spider-Man films, out of live action at least. Um, and we got we had a mid-credit scene uh, where uh, Dr. Connors is in his prison cell and then again, the gentleman, trench coat and the hat, he is in there with him and he says, you know, did you tell the boy the, the truth about his father? And he says, no. And he says, good, you know, we'll, we'll leave it that way for now. And then Connors said you should leave him alone. And then thunder flashes and then the gentleman is gone. And then that's the end of the film. And it just sucks that we never got a payoff to that. And we're never we're never going to get a payoff for that. But maybe that's another one that we can get a graphic novel form for it. But and again, I loved I loved the amazing the first amazing Spider-Man film. And it, that's why it is number six on my list. Because 
What is number five? Spider-Man Homecoming. Number five on my list of best, worst to best Spider-Man films. And the reason why I know a lot of again, a lot of the MCU fans, they put Tom Holland on such a high pedestal, and that's fine. I love Tom Holland as Spider-Man. Uh, then, you know, I love his introduction to the MCU in Captain America Civil War. Um, it was a lot of fun. And, and but, you know, this one, I don't know, just something about this one that's just, I, again, I loved it, but... You know, there's a reason why it's at the rank I ranked it at this part of the list because I don't know. I, I wasn't really a fan of how he was so reliant on the Tony Stark technology. You know, like as but but at the same time, I understood because Tony is the one who gives him the suit, um, which I mean that's fine. It's it is what it is, and you know Tony Stark is is the godfather of the MCU, so. You know, what he says goes, what he does is, yeah. But, um, overall, I really enjoyed the film. Um, but of course, the best part of Spider-Man Homecoming is Michael Keaton as the Vulture. Uh, Michael Keaton is one of my absolute favorite actors ever, for years, ever since I first saw him in Beetlejuice and Batman and Batman Returns and, you know, you know, the... Uh, the voice of the Kendall in Toy Story Three, uh, and then the other guys, all, all the all these great movies that he did. Uh, uh, but just he was just he. I think he's still my favorite villain, or I get. Well, I mean, outside of the, uh, he's my favorite not Avengers villain of the entire MCU because because this. Again, because of how great of an actor he is. Oh, wait, and Birdman. That was another great one for him that I wish he would have gotten an Oscar for that film. Seriously, he he was robbed of that. And he was just he 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 was so menacing as a villain, but at the same time, you kind of rooted for him, you know? Uh I guess part of it is just because, you know, Michael Keaton is just so goddamn lovable, you know? But just but my and my favorite part of the film, with especially with him, is uh, when Peter is taking his daughter to the homecoming dance. Uh, when they're in the car and she gets out of the car, and he's like, you know, yeah, I'm gonna have a little, you know, you know, give Peter the dad talk. And then as soon as she walks out the car, he just turns around, and looks back at him, and she says, "Does she know?" And then Peter acts confused, like, no, what? And he just, and he gives him just one of the best monologues I've ever, of, of any superhero film I've heard. Where he just, you know, it, 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 I got chills the first time I saw it. I still do now, but just the first time was just, just I, it was just, to me, it was just like, holy shit, that was, that was good. And, um, uh, Again, he was just the perfect villain for this film. Uh, um, and, but, like, because the whole film is... Because it starts off with the, like, the aftermath of the first Avengers film. Uh, where he, where he's the, uh, the, he's the, the head of the, of the construction crew that's cleaning up and salvaging all the, the wreckage. 
outside of the you know, what would become Avengers Tower. Uh, uh, and then he's, uh, but then like the rug is kind of pulled out from under him um, because uh, Tony Stark and the Avengers they're paying for the cleanup of all that stuff, and he is angry with Tony Stark because he robbed him of that good contract uh, with the city that was gonna you know give you know that was gonna basically help take care of him and his crew for for forever kind of thing. Um, and so he decides to, you know, go into business for himself kind of thing, like, because, you know, some of the weapons from the, from the, uh, Chitauri battle, uh, they decide to keep some of it for themselves and, uh, use it to create other weapons, and they started to sell it on the black market, and, you know, he was making good money with that, um... And basically that was, and then the whole, like, the whole thing of it was that Peter was trying to figure out where these criminals are getting these weapons and getting the, this alien tech, you know, for, and, <clears throat> let me get another drink. <sighs> Good. But, um... Uh, and again, like he, and then after the opening Marvel logo, uh, which, you know, I mean, you got to heard, you heard the music at the beginning of this. It was, uh, you know, the epic orchestra, uh, Michael, whatever, I can't pronounce the last name, but, uh, yeah, he did the score for this film and for Far From Home, and he's rumored to do the score for Matt Reeves' Batman, which I hope he does, because he's a great composer. Um, Guccino, I think is the name, uh, Michael Guccino, either way, you, you know, it, it was a brilliant orchestra, orchestra version of the Spider, of the classic Spider-Man theme, and, uh, you know, I just loved it so much, I decided to have it as the intro for this, and, uh, and then it transitions into, like, a little home video documentary that Peter is making, uh, on his cell phone, uh, as he's you know on his way to his mission in Germany to help Tony Stark uh, uh, in you know from in the from the battle in Civil War, and then afterwards you know after all that it's when him and Tony come back home to New York and um, you know Parker thinks they you know he want he because he just he really wants to just be an Avenger and he wants to prove himself to Tony, so he starts doing all these things to you know try to prove his worth to him including this trying to stop a bank robbery where he first sees the use of the alien technology and uh, and then he goes on the hunt to find out who, who's selling it to them where they're getting it from and all that and that's when he meets the vulture um, and you know and Iron Man does help him out quite a bit throughout the movie you know not too much not as much as what the previews made us think because there was a lot of stuff they showed in the previews that were not in the movies at all um, which seems to be the, the trend of the MCU. Um, but, uh, then we lead into when he, they go to Washington, D.C. because Parker is part of the debate team and they have a big, you know, a big championship thing over there. Uh, and then his friend Ned, uh, and he's the first person to find out that he's Spider-Man and, you know, he basically becomes like his sidekick kind of guy, or you know, the guy in the chair. Uh, 
as as he was called in the movie, or nicknamed himself in the movie. And yeah, and then they're trying to figure out what the you know again that piece of the from the the little as they kept calling it the glowy thing, um, which. Uh, Peter would later on learn that it is, you know, like a basically like a nuclear bomb kind of thing, uh, which does go off when the debate team is inside the Washington Monument, and that's where we get the cool sequence that we saw in the trailers, where he like f dives off the top of the monument and has the wings, where he f you know flies through the window, um, and then he rescues them because they're in an elevator, and it's about to you know fall down to all their death and all that shit. Um, and, you know, we get, a, we get the, also the, the fairy sequence that's, you know, that has become one of the most famous things in the MCU, which was also a lot of fun. Um, and that's where he fucks up and the, the fairy almost sinks because, uh, Vulture decides to shoot it up and, uh, Peter, again, he fucks, he fucks things up and, Blasts the whole fairy in half, and it just falls apart. And then Iron Man comes to the rescue, puts the thing back together, and then he gives him the lecture. The lecture, you know, the you know, if you if you're nothing without the suit, and you shouldn't have it, kind of thing. And and that's when Peter has to go back to using his home his his homemade suit, where it's just the hoodie and the the weird looking mask and all that shit. And uh. And also, like throughout the whole film, that they you know, that they keep trying to uh, Vulture and his crew keeps trying to like, like you want to you know do th you know go for the, the the big thing, the big guns or whatever it is, or basically it was gonna be like robbing the you know Tony Stark's jet with all the stuff from Avengers Tower that was being transferred to up to Upstate at the new Avengers headquarters uh, that we first saw in Age Voltron, um, and. And that be you know that becomes like the the big job that he eventually gets to, uh, um, because because uh, like the whole time that they were under the radar, uh, operating and and the feds are on them, um, because uh, Peter when he mentions the things going on with the Vulture to Iron Man, uh, after he after his first meeting with him, uh, Tony he calls the FBI to. You know, stop the the raid that was gonna happen on the on the ferry, and that's you know where all that shit went down. Um, and that was gonna be the big job that he was gonna do, and that's that's the big climax of the film, the you know the final battle that they have where they end up outside of Coney Island at Astroland, uh, which just really really made me miss New York so much. I used because my family and I used to go there a lot while I was growing up, and just. I miss it so much. I really do. <sighs> but then, yeah, that's where, at the end of the film, you know, Spider-Man saves the day. And then he goes up to the new Avengers headquarters, and we get to see, you get the little first peek of the Iron Spider suit that we eventually got to see in Infinity War. And that was a cool, cool little moment. And then we got the first... You know, then the the ending where he Tony gives him back the suit that he took from him before. He's in his bedroom wearing the suit, and he takes the mask off. Aunt May's in the background sees him as in the suit, and that's where they end with the what the f 
and then it stops. You know, that's the end of the movie. Then we get the first mid credit scene where uh, Tombs, uh, Vulture, is in prison. He bumps into the guy that, you know, is going to become Scorpion uh, later at some point, which I, I, I think is going to probably be the next Spider-Man film, uh, whatever that one is going to be called and whenever that one will happen. Uh, you know, because, uh, you know, they're, they've been talking about the bringing in the Sinister Six. And hopefully they'll be done properly. We shall see, though. Uh, but, uh, yeah. I liked the film a lot. And Michael Keaton as the Vulture was just perfect. Uh, Zendaya as uh, Michelle, or MJ, as she, you know, teased at the end of the film. I didn't mind her that much. I know there's, you know, some people that were annoyed by her. Which, I mean, I understand. That's fine. You know. People have their reasons, you know, like I always say, I'm, uh, everyone's going to like what they want to like, or they're going to hate what they want to hate, who am I to tell them that they're wrong? Uh, but I I loved Spider-Man Far From Home, and that is why it is number five on my ranking of the Spider-Man films. And now moving on to number four, we have the first Spider-Man film from 2002, the one that kick-started all the awesome Spider-Man films that we've had. <laughs> and the not-so-awesome. Um, but this is the first one in 2002. Uh, Tobey Maguire putting on the, the webbed mask for the first time. Directed by the brilliant Sam Raimi. Scored by the legend Danny Elfman. And this... Uh, it's one of my favorite origin, superhero origin films ever. Um, which I might do a list of that later on. Who knows? Um, I'll add that to my notebook. Uh, but yeah, it's one of my all-time favorite origin films of a comic book movie. Um, uh, it to me, it's just it is just like 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 just like a straight up classic comic book movie. Like it is a, again like a straight a straight out of the pages kind of comic book movie. Um, and again, we have uh, James Franco as Harry Osborn, uh, uh, <clears throat> the great Willem Dafoe, the awesome, awesome Willem Dafoe as Norman Osborn, who eventually becomes Green Goblin in this one. And it is, it is just such a great movie. And uh, I remember I saw it in the theaters at least three times that I can remember. Uh, saw saw it with my brothers at first. Then I saw it again with my parents as a family, and I think I saw it again by myself. I don't remember. I was 15 at the time, so probably, maybe, I don't know, who knows. Um, I just remembered seeing it at least two or three times in theaters. Saw a lot of movies at a couple of times that year. No. And 2002 was a fun year for me. <laughs> but just, yeah, it was just, you know, it was a great way to introduce the the casual general movie going audience to the the awesomeness that is spider-man and uh and yeah i, I might be feeling just a little bit nostalgic i know i know but i've seen because i've seen so many people just 
you know, again, MCU people that are just shitting on all these movies, saying, like, oh, these are garbage, and blah, 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 and, you know, Toby was, like, too old to play a high school student. Man, I was in high school at the time when this movie came out, and I, there were a lot of people at my high school that looked just as old as Tobey Maguire did. So it's not that far out of the realm for, you know, someone to look like Tobey Maguire did and be in high school. Hell, if, if, if you've seen pictures of The Rock when he was in high school, dude looked, looked like he was a... Like, even he joked about that he looked like he was an undercover cop. Um, so, yeah. Another uh, no, person I talked to on Twitter that he he put up pictures of a uh, uh, of the ghost of you know the the original Ghostbusters, the Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Harold Ramis, <clears throat> and Ernie Hudson. From when they were in high school, they all looked basically they all looked like they were already in their forties, but they were in high school. These were their high school portraits. So yeah, it's not out of the ordinary for someone to look like Tobey Maguire did at the time and be a high school student. Hell. I'm 32, and I still get confused for high school students out here. So, it's not that out of the ordinary. But, uh, oh yeah, we had also we also had Joe Manganiello as Flash Thompson, which was a lot of fun. I think that was the first time I'd ever seen him in anything, and of course he's gone on to do a lot of other stuff, like, you know, How I Met Your Mother, True Blood, Magic Mike, uh, almost... Got to enjoy him as Deathstroke. We had the post-credit scene in the in the Justice League movie, uh, which uh, sucks. It's very likely not going to lead to anything. Uh, but you know who knows. Um. Yeah, but yeah, we also one of my favorite parts of it is that we got to have the late, great, the legendary. Macho Man Randy Savage in this film as Bonesaw McGraw uh, when Peter, after he first gets bitten by the spider and starts to learn about his powers and decides, um, uh, I'm going to impress MJ, played by, by Kirsten Dunst, uh, I'm going to try to impress her by getting a, a car. And he's looking through the paper, sees an ad for a used car for like a couple of hundred bucks, and this, uh, or couple of thousand dollars actually and then he sees an ad in the corner like hey need money you know three three last three minutes and you get three thousand dollars in the in the wrestling ring so then he starts you know doing concept art for what his costume would be and he sketches out you know a comic uh, the spider-man costume just like like it was straight out of the comic books um then he that's when he goes over to the building where the wrestling matches were happening uh, and we also see Octavia Spencer as the the woman that's checking everybody in that when they sign up. Uh, and Bruce Campbell was the ring announcer. And uh, I mean, you can, you can never go wrong with Bruce Campbell. He's a, he's a goddamn American treasure. I love the man. Um, and yeah, just uh, again being a big wrestling fan, I my brothers and I had so much fun with Macho Man being in the movie and. We probably reacted to that louder than anybody else in the theater was during that moment because again we are big wrestling fans, so when we go see certain movies and we see some some wrestlers in there, we we react to it. Um, like hell, like when we when we saw Nacho Libre in the theater in two thousand six, and they were doing some of the wrestling moves in that in that movie, we we were laughing our asses off because it's like 
you know, again, we're wrestling fans, so we just enjoyed it so much. Um, but yeah, Macho Man, uh, and I think even Sam Raimi was probably might have been a wrestling fan as well. Uh, I I have read a lot of that. Uh, Bruce Campbell was is a, is a wrestling fan. He's been interviewed by WWE Magazine a couple of times, uh, and was even supposed to appear on an episode of Monday Night Raw during the uh, the who the who Mer- who blew up Vince McMahon storyline back in 2007 before that cut cut short because of. <clears throat> You know, the Crispin Wan incident, but <clears throat> moving on. Um, and also on Ash vs. Evil Dead on the on the first episode, they uh, talked about watching Monday Night Raw uh, after they get off work, which I got a nice little chuckle out of that. Um, uh, but yeah, and, and when he's about to be introduced for his wrestling match, you know, Parker gives himself the human spider. Uh, and then the you know, Bruce Campbell is the ring announcer. He's like, he's like, human spider. That's it. That's the best you got. And he's like, yeah. And he just goes, oh, that sucks. And then, you know, when he introduces him, he calls him the Amazing Spider-Man. And you know, basically, he's the one who gives him the name Spider-Man. Uh, uh, which to me was pretty cool, like a cool way to do so. And then we have the fun little cage match that they have in there um and of course he he wins and then that's when we get to see the villain that robs the 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 promoter uh, and peter lets him go uh and then it's you know he of course he's the one like as i mentioned earlier in spider-man 3 discussion that he He's the, the robber that, you know, Uncle Ben gets killed, steals his car, the guy steals his car, and, you know, you know, and, I mean, at the time when I saw it, I mean, I was sad, but I didn't cry, but now as a, you know, as I'm much older, and, you know, I've had some tragedies in my life since then, um, tragedies and loss, I, I get more emotional about it now, you know, a lot of movies seem to have that effect on me now. And, but just, you know, the, the special effects are awesome in this one as well. Uh, getting to see him in the Spider-Man suit for the first time was so fun, so awesome. And uh, I remember the original teaser trailer for the film, uh, he, was, he stopped a robbery that happened. And it was uh, that, he, that they were like getting away in like a helicopter and they get caught up in a web between the Twin Towers. Well, obviously, the film was coming out after 9-11, so they had to scrap that sequence out of the film. Um, but they, but if you look closely, when they zoom out of his the lens of his of his mask during that during that sequence where he's stopping all these robbers, and you're getting they're getting the public opinion from people, you can still see the twin towers in his lens. Um, and they even have the poster that you, that they that you, that they have, which I would love to get that poster because it's it's a awesome poster but um and uh and then we also they also have lucy lawless as the the multicolored you know multi-color haired you know punk rock looking chick um which it's kind of funny because she and she's she later on appears in the ash versus evil dead series as well uh i guess sam raimi just has a thing for some of these people that he he always works with them somehow um, especially with Bruce Campbell. Bruce Campbell appears in all of Sam Raimi's films, so 
Um, and I've even joked about it, saying it's not a real Sam Raimi film until Bruce Campbell, you know, does a cameo. Um, uh, I should actually look up to see if he has been in every Sam Raimi film. Hmm. But anyways, uh, and then we get the first couple of fight scenes with, uh, after Osborn becomes Green Goblin, and those are a lot of fun. And I remember I had the, I had the Spider-Man, the Spider-Man video game. Uh, that came out around that time, and that was a, a really fun game as well. I mean, the, the new one that came out last year is much better, but the 2002 Spider-Man game was a lot of fun on the PlayStation 2 that I had. Uh, pop my back, that feels good. Um, and just, honestly, I really have no complaints at all about this movie, and, uh, I mean... Uh, I, I could, I guess, I could say, I could say it's perfect. You know, like I have no complaints at all about this movie. Just, I don't like. You know, you can try to convince me that it's not a great movie, and you're just gonna fail. <laughs> you know. <sighs> but yes, that is my number four ranking Spider-Man film. And now I come on to number three. Spider-Man Far From Home. Yes, Spider-Man Far From Home is my number three favorite Spider-Man film of all time. Or what I or at least what I consider to be the third best Spider-Man film of all time. And just and if you really want to hear what I thought my, my real thoughts on it, just check out my, my my review for it, but I'll you know do a quick summary of it on here as well. I mean I get picks up directly after uh Endgame. Uh, where, you know, Tony Stark is, is dead, and, you know, the a lot of the film deals with, uh, is with Peter dealing with the loss of him, and how he feels burdened with needing to become the, the next Iron Man for the world, and, and that, 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 that responsibility weighs heavy on him, because, again, great power comes great responsibility, um, and then he gets the, the, the glasses, uh, with the Edith tech, you know, the acronym uh, meaning even dead, I'm the hero, um, which, you know, he foolishly hands off to Mysterio, thinking that he's the hero that the world needs, but, you know, that was all, that was his plan all along, that was Mysterio's plan all along, he manipulated him into all that stuff, um, and we get all the awesome little tie-ins to the previous uh, MCU films, uh, like the first Iron Man, and then Captain America: Civil War, with uh, with the barf technology, as he called it in that one. And um, then we get, and, but and then we have that we have that awesome, that awesome, awesome illusion sequence. The first one, uh, when uh, when he thinks that he's with uh, Nick Fury at the at that head at that little headquarters building that they were using, and that just that that awesome illusion sequence. It was truly one of the best probably might might be my favorite sequence of well definitely it's definitely my top five favorites of the entire mcu it was just so awesome and i just sat there in my theater seat just in awe of that whole sequence it was awesome um, and just brilliantly brilliantly done in my opinion um and the the fight sequences were cool too uh and you know, some parts the humor was a little overdone, uh, particularly the part when uh, when he meets he meets Nick Fury or well, 
well, not really Nick Fury, because that post-credit scene turns out that it's Talos, the the scroll from that we are introduced to in Captain Marvel. Uh, again, if you haven't checked out my Far From Home review, you you would have you would you would have you would have already known that, uh, or if you've seen the film already, you already know that. Uh, and yeah, that he keeps getting interrupted, and it like after a while it got a little annoying. But overall, it just I thought the whole film was just awesome and a great follow-up to Homecoming, uh, especially coming right off the heels of Endgame. Uh, but yeah, that allude, the illusion sequences were awesome and brilliant, and uh, especially when when they're on the bridge, like at the end of the film during that final battle, uh, and the you know the Peter like realizing that it's all that everything in front of him is an illusion, and he just closes his eyes and uses his Peter Tingle, and just fucks up all the the drones that are being used for all these illusions, and it's just that's an awesome sequence as well. That he just, you know, yeah, using his his senses to, you know, the, his spider sense, spidey sense, whichever you want to call it, that he's destroying all the drones one by one by one by one until he makes his way to Mysterio. Um, it's just, I don't know, for 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 the, for the MCU, it is to me it, for the MCU to so is so far the perfect Spider-Man film in the MCU. Uh, again, I the. Parts of it that I, I understand why people didn't like, but I loved it, especially that first mid-credit scene, where we get when we got to see J.K. Simmons reprising his role as J. Jonah Jameson, that he was just perfect as in the Sam Raimi trilogy, which I'm surprised I didn't talk about it in the, up to before now, but it was he it was awesome and that when i was in the theater and that part and he came up on the screen i was i was sitting there just like i had already decided man, like you know what that was a great movie and then when he popped up on the screen i perked up out of my seat and literally and said out loud holy shit and i and that made me leave the theater with the biggest smile on my face i was so happy and and that is why, for me, it is number three on my worst to best of Spider-Man. Which, we get down to the top two. And number two... Academy Award winner... Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Uh, my favorite f superhero film of 2018. It was... Actually, I saw it... The last week of 2018, because I, my brother had been bugging me to go see it, and I kept, you know, putting it off because I had other stuff going on at the time that it did not have the free time to go see it. But I, you know, had the Christmas break uh, during that period and decided to finally go see it, and ah, oh, it was just so, 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 just I loved it so much, and uh, but like. Gosh, just honestly, I don't know if any words that I use could truly do it justice. It's just, it is just such an amazing film, and it was the first film in a very, 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 very long time that I'm sitting in my seat and I am literally smiling ear to ear from start to finish. It is that amazing of a film and and then when it won the academy award 
for best animated feature, I jumped up out of my seat like my team just won the Super Bowl or, or the World Series. I was that excited and that happy. And I have been like begging other people to go see this film ASAP because if you love the comic books, especially Spider-Man comic books as much as I do, or more, then you will definitely love this film because it has a lot of nods to the previous films and the comic books. Uh, we had Chris Pro Chris Pine as Peter Parker for the opening part of the film, and then Jack Jake Johnston as Peter Parker in the rest of the film. Uh, you know, like they reference Spider-Man Two, they reference the first Spider-Man film, they reference Spider-Man Three, they reference uh, parts of the Amazing Spider-Man films, they reference the Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, um, like I said, they spoofed the you know from Spider-Man Three when Peter is you know doing the the, the dancing and the finger pointing and it's just <sighs> and they had also one of my favorite my, one of my f absolute favorite Stan Lee cameos uh, where he's in a co he's at a costume store that sells Spider-Man merchandise and and I, I cried when he when when that scene came up because uh, he's just because because again if you, if you've seen the film you already know that you know, but it, spoiler alerts if you haven't seen it. Five, four, three, two, one. Peter Parker and Spider-Man dies at the beginning of the movie, and everyone's mourning his death. And Miles Morales, who the film is about him, so that's you know that that was one of the big selling points for me. That he goes to that costume store to buy the Spider-Man costume that they were selling, and Stan Lee is the the merchant of that of that store, and he's when he. Hands him the costume to, to pay for it at the register. Stan just says, I'm going to miss him. And, you know, Miles says, hey, me too. And then Stan says, we were friends, you know. <sighs> and I was just a blubbering mess after that. Because, god damn it, Stan Lee. He had, he had died just weeks before that. I think actually a whole month before. So it was, of course, still fresh. And, and honestly, I've not met anyone who did not cry when that cameo came up because it was just, oh, uh, yeah, I have no shame to, in, in admitting that I was a bit of a blubbering mess when that cameo came up. Hell, when I've watched the Blu-ray uh, since then, you know, a couple of times, I've even that even then I still cry because uh, it's just, it's just a, a great, you know, cameo, and then. You know, the, the, it closes off with when he, Miles says, you know, can I return it if it doesn't fit? And then he's, he just brilliantly delivers the line, it always fits, eventually. Uh, which is just a great line that can that has so much, so many meanings behind it. Um, and then, you know, again, because it's uh, the super collider that Kingpin is using to try to bring back his wife and son. Because, you know, uh, you know, again, if you've seen the film, you already know. Uh, and through that super collider machine is where we get the Peter Parker from the other universes. Uh, and then we get uh, Gwen Stacy from a different universe. Uh, Penny Parker from a different universe. Uh, Peter Parker, Spider-Man Noir from another universe. And Spider-Ham, Peter Porker from another universe as well. Uh, and it was just... Uh, I can't remember the, the name of the girl who does Penny Parker, but she was a uh, 
the Asian girl on Orange is the New Black, who was Pusey's girlfriend when she died on the show. I'm sorry, spoiler alert if you've never seen Orange is the New Black. Um, but yeah, she's Penny Parker. Um, <clears throat> Haley Steinfeld is Gwen Stacy. Uh, God, what's his, what's his face? God, can't remember his name now. Son of a bitch. Um, John Mulaney. Uh, he's Peter Porker, Spider-Ham. Uh, I, I already said Jake Johnson is the Peter Peter B. Parker. Uh, and then Spider-Man Noir is voiced by Nicolas Cage. And he was just perfect in every possible way as Spider-Man Noir. Because just his, his dry delivery of every line was just perfect. Perfect, perfect, perfect. If you haven't seen it yet, just Please go see it. It's fucking perfect. And, and I was, you know, talking about like, you know, like how the first Sam Raimi Spider-Man film was a straight out of the comics film. This one is literally straight out of the comics. Even the animation is done to mim mimic that of the comic books, where like you know, like certain, uh, like you know, like the, the physical design itself and like. How like you know the older comics like had like the little 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 dots to you know in the in the coloring that's present very all throughout the film as well and uh, just um, and at the end of the film uh, you know of course we're definitely gonna get a sequel that's already been basically confirmed and there's there's even gonna be a Spider Gwen spinoff and I believe a Spider Ham spinoff as well which is that's gonna be fun to watch. Um, then the, during the credits after the, you know, the initial credits, they had the, like, a mid-credit tribute to Stan Lee and Steve Ditko, which, again, when I saw it in the theaters, I was a bit of a blubbering mess for that as well, because Stan Lee and Steve Ditko co-created Spider-Man, uh, you know, Stan wrote the stories, Steve Ditko did the drawings, um, ah, and it was a very beautiful tribute, and then, the post credit scene, uh, we get to see uh, the 2099 Spider-Man, and in my opinion, the best post credit scene of any comic book movie ever, um, where he, using the little, t a little time travel, you know, uh, what they, the goober, that's what they kept calling it, the goober, he travels back to uh, 1967 to the original Spider-Man cartoon, you know, the meme where the, the two Spider-Man are pointing at each other, and they, they do that, and then I was laughing my ass off the entire time, and it was just the perfect way to end a perfect film, a perfect Spider-Man movie. Uh, and the 2099 Spider-Man was voiced uh, by Oscar Isaac, and he was brilliant in that as well. Um, and then in that little sequence, J. Jonah Jameson was voiced by Stan Lee, which, you know, reading up on a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff of Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, that Stan Lee had, had always dreamed of, of playing uh, J. Jonah Jameson in, in some form or another, and he finally got to do it here. So that's, that's awesome that he got to do that before he passed. Uh, just, again, I can't say... I can't say enough great things about this film. It is, it is truly 
a perfect film. And is my second favorite Spider-Man movie. Which of course brings me to number one. I mean, you figured it out by now, if you didn't already. Spider-Man 2. The gold standard of Spider-Man films. And... And this is another one, kind of like Spider-Man 3, although not exactly, but just better. There's the theatrical cut, and then there's an extended cut that they have on the Blu-ray that I, I prefer to watch that one because it's just more enjoyable for me. Uh, that it's called Spider-Man 2.1. And this, again, it's just the perfect Spider-Man movie. Uh, and we have, you know, Tobey Maguire as Peter Parker, Kirsten Dunst as Mary Jane. James Franco, excuse me, as Harry Osborn, J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson, and Al Alfred Molina as a brilliant Dr. Octavius, a.k.a. Dr. Octopus, Doc Ock, and another, this is another one that just, if you haven't seen it already, just, what the, what are you doing? Just get, get off your ass and go see it. <laughs> excuse me, got the hiccups now. Um... Uh, Spider-Man 2. You can you can watch either one, Spider-Man 2 or Spider-Man 2.1. Either one is a is you'll you'll be witnessing the best possible Spider-Man film ever. It is the perfect Spider-Man film. And one of the reasons I prefer the extended version a little more is because uh well after we get the iconic you know part of Spider when part Peter Parker puts his Spider-Man suit in the trash directly out of the comic books, literally out of the comic books. You can compare shot for shot out of the comic books. Um, uh, uh, a, a garbage guy finds it in, in the trash and brings it over to the Daily Bugle to J. Jonah Jameson. And, uh, and in, in the extended version, we see Jameson wearing the Spider-Man suit, pretending that he's Spider-Man, and it's just so much fun to watch that to watch jk simmons wearing the spider-man suit with the cigar in his mouth jumping around in his office going phew 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 pretending that he's spider-man now <sighs> uh, well, as i'm saying this i'm i'm tempted i'm i'm motivated to go go into my little blu-ray collection and watch that right now oh man i'm not going to it's past 2.30 at this point, so I'm gonna go straight to bed after I finish recording this. Um, but just, yeah, is... Spider-Man 2 is the perfect Spider-Man movie. But will the next Spider-Man film top it? We shall see. But before I finish all that, I want to talk about a little more about why I love Spider-Man 2 so much. Huh. Thought that I was done there, didn't you? Just, but yeah, it was, again, it's the perfect Spider-Man film. And, of course, the famous and iconic train fight between Spider-Man and Dr. Octo Dr. Octopus. is just absolutely amazing and one of the best train sequences of any superhero film ever. Uh, especially when... Uh, when Peter has to stop the train, you know, now that, that iconic shot of him with the webs holding it on the tracks from 
falling off into the water. And it's just um, an amazing sequence. Uh, and also the part when uh, when Octavius break, you know, wakes up from you know in the in the operating room after the mechanical arms become fused with his spine. Um, that was that that sequence is was Sam Raimi going back to his horror roots, you know, for like from the Evil Dead films, you know, and and that is another great sequence as well. Uh, oh yeah, we also got Joel McHale as the like dick, like asshole banker. That was that was pretty fun, you know, because I remembered uh, when he was still hosting the Soup during that period that he showed a fake trailer of him of a spin-off film of his his banker character. Um, which, you know, I'm sure you can look that up on YouTube. I'll probably check that out, uh, in a, when I'm done with this. Uh, but just, again, you know, it's another, another, like, another one that I can, I can't say enough great things about it. And, I mean, cause to me, like, nothing, nothing can beat that, that train sequence between the two. And, and then we also got the awesome tease at the end of the film where Harry, uh, well, Harry, when Harry re first he realizes that Peter is Spider-Man because he's he basically hires Doctor Octopus to kill him for him, uh, or or at least to bring him to 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 Harry so that Harry can kill him. And then when he takes off the mask and realizes it's Peter, he, he like basically almost has like a panic attack, and. He, you know, is conflicted because Peter's his best friend, but then he you know, blames him for the for his father's death, you know, and then he speaks to his father's ghost in the mirror, which was pretty fun. He also does that in the third film, um, and then he, with the little letter opener dagger that he had, he throws it into the, at the mirror, and then it breaks, shatters the mirror, and he realizes there's a hallway in there that I did not know was there. And that's where he finds the little secret hideaway for all the Green Goblin stuff. And and that was, well, should have should have been where the movie ends. But then it ends with uh, Mary Jane. She was going to marry uh, uh, J. Jonah Jameson's son, the astronaut. Because um, uh, they announced earlier in the film that they were engaged. And she, they're going to get married. But then uh, she runs off and realizes she's in love with Peter Parker. They, you know, get together, uh, and also Mr. Dickovich, the landlord that we are introduced here, who, another one who is just, you know, f you know, another great meme, and, you know, up until recently, I didn't realize that Mr. Dickovich, his name is a tribute to Steve Ditko, because the first syllable, the first part of the name, Dickovich, it's Ditkovich, so... That's another little little brilliant Easter egg thrown in there, um, but yeah, again, it's it is the perfect Spider-Man film, and I can only I can I and I can't wait to see what the next Spider-Man film brings us to see if it could potentially bump Spider-Man Two off the top of my list. And that does it for my premiere edition of Worst to Best, and I hope you guys enjoyed listening to me talk about all these movies and um, whether you agree with them or not that is fine totally up to you uh, I know not everyone is gonna agree with these rankings and that is totally fine by me don't mind that at all um, hope you guys check out the 
podcast that I have coming up this week where it's my shooting the shit where I'm going to be talking about SummerSlam and Raw and SmackDown and other wrestling and Hollywood news that I find interesting enough to talk about and video game news as well if I find something from that. But in the meantime, please check out some of my past movie reviews. Uh, I've reviewed uh, 2019 Lion King, Spider-Man Far From Home, Dark Phoenix, Avengers Endgame, Captain Marvel, Fighting With My Family, Aquaman, uh, and Halloween 2018, and my retro film reviews for the 1994 Lion King and for Masses of the Universe. And I'll have more of these worst to best lists coming soon. And I've uh, been talking for over an hour and a half with this. Uh, I don't know how often I'll be doing these, but I definitely have my Halloween one coming up in October. I already promised I was going to do that. Plus the Star Wars one in December, which I still have not decided if I'm going to do it before Rise of Skywalker or after Rise of Skywalker. But if you follow me on Twitter at IamFossitude, you'll get all that information before anyone else does. Uh, well, until next time, I am Julian. Have a lovely day.